Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family, where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23 and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating, and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips, and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. Today's guest is a marketing and branding expert, a multiple seven-figure business owner, and one of the most influential speakers on business and personal mastery. But you never would have guessed that with where she came from. Having a meth addiction and living on the streets for over six months, she eventually had Life hit her in the face when she had her dad died. Watching him give his dreams away to a job that he hated made her realize that if she didn't make change in her life, then that would be her too. This led her on a huge journey of over a decade studying and being a high-performance student in sport, life, business, personal development, metaphysics, and ancient wisdom. She's attended 32 separate 10-day meditation retreats, finished a degree in Buddhist philosophy and psychology, and has attended over 1,000 plant medicine ceremonies. She has worked personally with people such as Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, and Scott Alford, learning everything there is to know about business, branding, and marketing. So much so that in 2018, her business grew by 800%. She's now gone on to create the Boss Bitch Business School, and she speaks to sell virtual academy, supporting entrepreneurs to build a life of freedom through starting and scaling an online business and using speaking to monetize their message. So please help me welcome the woman who went from being homeless and addicted to meth with no direction in life to now an international speaker, seven-figure business owner, having spoken on virtual stages with people such as Deepak Chopra, Lisa Nichols, Tony Robbins, and so many more. My friend, Miss Kate Gray. What up, Morgan? That was a long intro. I know. I was like, I kind of sound cool. You do sound cool. (laughs) I I make everybody sound really freaking cool on this show. But I, I, what I do, I always put it together and then I never proofread it myself. So Mm. I noticed my grammar sucks really bad uh, a lot of the time and I'm like, huh? Um, But that was really long. But you've done some really cool shit. Um, Really excited to hear about a lot of things. <laughs> we'll get we'll get into we will get into a lot of it soon. But in order for my audience to get to mm-hmm. know you really, really super fast, mm-hmm. I got some questions for you. Ooh. Some rapid fire ones. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Where did you grow up? Tasmania. Tassie. Tasmania. Oh, I knew I knew there was something Ooh. about you. I actually have the <laughs> scar. Like <laughs> it was from getting a mole removed. But when people give me crap about having two heads, I'm like, see the scar. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, and where do you live now? I live in the Gold Coast. Love it. What's your favorite food? Oh, gosh. Pizza from the Roadhouse in Byron Bay. Oh, I need to try that. It's really good. Roadhouse. And I have mezcal as well, which I'm also a huge oh. fan of. Mm-hmm. Okay, beautiful. I think it tastes like pure gasoline, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've done many mezcal days and nights in Mexico. Um, if you could have any type of superpower, what would it be? I want to be Professor X. So, like, psychic abilities to, like, know what people are thinking and, like, go into the collective consciousness and, yeah, that would be great. That would be freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. What is your X factor? 
I'm extremely funny. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny, see? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What, What was your dream as a kid? Mm. <laughs> to I actually wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon. Yeah, that was not going to happen. I'm blind as a bat. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and uh, what? Who? Who's someone that's inspired you to get to where you are, and why? Mm, good question. Definitely Gary V. Like I worked with Gary in 2019 and just his story of like how he came to America and him and his family lived in the tiny apartment. I know everyone that's listening has most likely heard Gary's story. That for me was a huge motivator early in my entrepreneurial journey because I was like, wow, if Gary can, I can. Like he came from nothing and now look at him and he doesn't have any formal, you know, business education. He doesn't have an MBA from Harvard and he's killing it. So if he can, I can. So definitely Gary. Gary, that's so cool. That so you went and worked with him one on one, right? And in a in a collective group, in a small collect- group of twenty entrepreneurs. Gary, uh, other guys I worked with one on one. Gary was in the GVX yeah. mastermind. That's pretty epic. So, what what were some of the biggest things you took away from working with him? Like, I imagine that would have been worth that's its money. Pretty cool. Um, oh, so many things. One, he has superpowers, and I'm pretty sure he's psychic. Um, because he told me to get out of the retreat business and this was the end of 2019 and I'm pretty sure he didn't know that the plan pandemic or whatever we want to call it, um, pandemic was going to come. But I, I listened to his advice after he annoyed me by saying it and I kind of had a cry. After I cried and her, heard his reasoning, I ended up closing that business down, thankfully, because then 2020 happened and it would have been shut down anyway. Mm. How come he told you to get out of the retreat business? What was behind that? Uh, his, you were running retreats, yeah. I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I was yeah. running plant medicine retreats in right. countries where it was legal. I'd like to yeah. – everyone would message me on Facebook and go, oh, can you do some plant medicine for me in Australia? I'm like, guys, it's illegal. And are you talking <laughs> – when we're talking plant medicines, is ayahuasca? Or? Yeah, ayahuasca, uh, 5-MeO-DMT. Um, what else do we do? Cambo, which is actually still legal, I think, in is Australia. Is that the toad? The toad is a 5-MeO-DMT and the Cambo is the frog medicine, which right. is the poison that you put in your arm, which is an amazing detoxer. So, you know, for example, if somebody, you know, had a heap of vaccines as a kid and they wanted to, like, cleanse their body or if they were, you know, a drug addict like myself, that is a natural, I guess, detoxifier that removes all of those toxins from your system. And it's still legal, I believe. It's not psychedelic. But we use that and then we use the cactus, Wachuma as well and the, the retreats. Wow. Okay. So, that's pretty cool. And sorry, I, so I kind of went on a no, it's tangent. Good. So, how come he told you to get out of that? Because that seems like such a huge industry right now. It was well. huge and I was in it because that those medicines, not specifically those ones, but medicines itself helped me overcome my meth addiction. So, it was just a natural progression for me to then work with other people they weren't just we didn't just deal with addiction we dealt with people with ptsd people had been um in the military people who um had really bad like subjected to really bad violence at home people who'd been sexually abused as well as people that just wanted a better life um so he though with he was actually right at the time he said that's a cowboy industry kate he's like you're young you're smart you have a lot of potential he's like there's not even enough science really which i disagreed with at the time which is why i got upset with him he says there's not enough science to actually back up what you're doing and he's like you're leaving yourself very vulnerable in terms um of people could sue you it could ruin your career it could like put you in jail he's like just get out of it he's like you're too young you're too talented it's, it potentially could – the risk is too high. Get out, mm. essentially. 
Wow. That, yeah, that would have been a hard pill to swallow. And then, so what did you, you now you've gone to just marketing and branding and, and business coaching and stuff, right? Yeah. So I did, I did that at the same time as running the retreats because a lot of people would be like, hey, how did you build a seven-figure business from like having no money? And so I, I was also doing that at the same time. However, I just moved full-time into that when I shut down the, the retreat business. I love it. I want to hear, so you've done 32 Vipassanas. <laughs> well, I did the, the Shoshens, the Zen versions of oh, Vipassana. What's the difference? The, the technique, the meditation technique is different. Okay. But you're still sitting quiet. <laughs> you're still sitting. For 10 days straight, not talking to anybody, not doing anything. Yeah, 11 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ten days, you've done 32 of them. Okay. Mm. I would firstly love to know why. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd love to know the discipline because nobody can sit through that like i struggle to sit for five minutes Mm -hmm. to meditate let alone 11 hours a day for 10 days straight 32 times how do you develop the discipline in that to do that is there a space because like if you can do it there that's probably why you've had so much massive success in business as well because it's all about discipline so Mm -hmm. i'd love to kind of know firstly why you decide to do Mm -hmm. that many um so there's obviously gonna be some kind of benefits there Mm -hmm. but then what kind of disciplines tactics or habits and stuff do you have to be able to go through that yeah so essentially what happens with a lot of addicts is that we will get over our addiction to drugs and then we'll put it into something else right. <laughs> so um becoming enlightened actually that was my goal i would tell everybody and funnily enough to this day i still don't drive because you know the, the what happened was I lived in Melbourne City. It would have been more expensive for me to get a car park with my apartment than my bloody apartment. And then I lived in New York. And so I was like, oh, I'm not going to bother driving. But as I went in my spiritual journey a little more, I was like, oh, I'm going to be enlightened. And I can't possibly in drive when I'm enlightened because I thought that when you're enlightened, you'd see stuff like you're on a mushroom ceremony, like <laughs> journey or you're on psychedelics and you wouldn't see reality. I was like, well, I can't drive. Um, now I've opened a loop and I don't know where we were going. We can go anywhere. Um, so... Basically, what happened was I referred my my addictive tendencies into the pursuit of enlightenment, which later on I realized was ludicrous and ridiculous and gave it up and just decided to be human. Um, The discipline, I didn't have it in the beginning. I sucked at it bad. I hated it. But I had an addictive personality, so I became addicted to the identity of the spiritual seeker that wanted to be enlightened and to keep identity coherence, which you know all about, I just forced myself through it until it became easy. Yeah. Uh, it was never easy. That I need to preface that. It was easier. Yeah. The thing with addictions, everyone has an addiction. Mm-hmm. Like everybody has addictions. Sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're good though. So, and, and in your example, you had the meth addiction that was bad, then you've channeled it into something good. So, how can you a, identify habits that perhaps you are addicted to that aren't serving you? And how can you switch them into doing something that is serving you? How can you channel that energy into growth? Yeah, it's a really good question. Firstly, I think before anyone can even do that, they have to have a pretty good level of self-awareness, which sadly I really believe a lot of people don't. They're, yes. they're in the program. You know, yeah, they if they're listening to this TV. podcast, they're improving. Yes, if they're listening to this podcast, they absolutely yes. are self-aware. These and they, guys are legends. They are legends. So I would look at what's my overall goal in life, what's my overall mission in life. Make sure firstly that's in alignment with your values. 
Then from that, look at your current daily habits that you, because your daily habits are going to reflect your addictions, right? Because whatever mm. you do the most frequently, you're you're obviously addicted to in some way, shape or form and go, are these in alignment with my overall goal and my values? And if they're not, well, then you just replace them with ones that are. So for me, for a long time, there was like a question. If somebody asked me to do something, they say, they said, oh, hey, come catch up for a, a coffee. And I'll be like, well, is this coffee, this is how ruthless I was, is this coffee going to move me forward to my goal of enlightenment? No. Sorry, I'm not coming. That's a no. I thought you were my friend. Yeah, but you're not going to help me move forward to enlightenment, mm. so I'm not coming. Um, so that's an extreme example and I'm, I'm not. I'm absolutely advocating that we all be social, have friends, of course, but I was that rigid that I would only ever do things in my life that move me forward towards my goal. Everything else got dismissed, but that also made me a really good entrepreneur. Because anything that didn't move my, I would, I never socialize for the sake of socializing. I socialize if it will move my mission forward. I'm not interested in friends for the sake of friendships and that, you know, a lot of people might be like, oh, that's harsh. Well, maybe it is. However, I've reached my goals and I'm setting new ones. Have you? Mm. Yeah. Do you think, or have you found that sort of changed now? Have you brought any kind of like social things? Do you have any relationships, friendships that aren't involved with business or is it kind of still you're, you're on this mission of? People need to be in in with you. So I have friendships that aren't directly linked to my business, but they give me something else that makes me a better entrepreneur. Right. So I have a friendship with a 74-year-old guy called Tom and I love Tom and I hope one day he listens to this, but I met him because he was my Uber driver once in the area I live in and I forgot my my card, my FPOS card, and so I couldn't when we got to the shopping center, he took me there. I couldn't get my groceries and he was so kind. He, he lent me money and then I went home immediately. He took me home and I, I paid him back and we became friends ever since. And so now he drives me if I ever need to go anywhere because I don't drive, obviously the enlightenment thing. And um, so <laughs> although... <laughs> you, just, you just fly. I fly. You fly. Oh, that happens when I walk in the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now Tom, although Tom's not related to my business, Tom brings me joy and happiness. And the more in joy and the more happy I am, the better I am as an entrepreneur. So it's all in, interlinked. Of what I mean when I say I don't socialize for the sake of socialization, I'm not just going to go to my friend's house and hang out without talking about our mission or how can we be better humans or what's the latest biohacking hack. Like if I'm just going to go to someone's house and they're going to talk about what Mary fucking down the street's done and what, you know, who she's banging now and that she left her husband and she drinks every day, I'm not interested. Like go away. That's not my idea of a friendship. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad because at, at first I was like, You've totally got to have friends you don't do business with. That makes total sense. I'm I'm the exact same there. It's like, like if friends call me, like it's just and sometimes because I'm involved in so many circles as well. Like yeah. I got different like hobbies and whatever. And so sometimes I can be around people that aren't into growth and all this. And and I just recognize it straight away. I'm like, fire out. This is difficult for me because like I I just genuinely don't give a fuck about your problems if you don't care for solutions or I don't care about you talking about little fucking Sally down the road. You know, I, I just... <laughs> Bloody you know, Sally. <laughs> I, I just don't give a fuck. Like, you know, it's it's very hard to sort of do that. So, I am, you know, but this is the thing that I guess we've both developed of like your circle is so freaking important. And obviously, you know that as well, investing mm-hmm. the mastermind stuff with Gary V, Grant Cardone. Um, what did you do with Grant? Um, so, I did one-on-one with Grant. Oh. Yeah. Tell me about it. How um, was it? 
grant yep at the time we had the same values now we don't necessarily have the same values right yeah well what was the biggest thing you got from him i guess though he taught me a really important lesson he helped me really understand what marketing was and what i naturally did i could never figure out why people would come and work with me and they i always thought everyone would have the same level of success as quickly as i did because i built my first seven figure business from zero to seven figures in 18 months and i know other people have smashed that and they've done it in 12 months and eight months at the time, I was the only person I had known who did that, so I thought I was pretty great. But anyway, I thought everybody that came to work with me would have that same capacity, which wasn't true. Everyone would have their own timelines, and I was confused, and Grant helped me understand. He said, marketing is the art of not only getting attention, but holding it. Mm. So I had the ability of getting attention through my personality, through my life experience, through my story, through my humor, through my intelligence, but I also had a natural ability of keeping it to nurture and in marketing we call it to build the no like trust factor right so it was just natural for me to do it so once I understood how I did it naturally I could quantify it and then I actually could teach others and it was no longer a mystery I could take people there quickly um that was the biggest thing I got from Grant and he's a master of it a he, master he's a freaking boss at it like oh my <laughs> gosh he knows how to get people looking at him I'd, I'd love to hear more about this because this is also your space right and everything you kind of do and you coach people on so I would love to know more about marketing and like how how do you get attention in the space we are now and how do you keep it and how do you make them actually convert? Like yeah. what, what are some things that you see people doing wrong? What are some things that people should be doing? Yeah. Yeah, good question. So, well, my specialty is doing organic content. So, it's not working with paid advertising. It's how to use organic content. Even if you have a very small audience, it doesn't actually matter. The first tip is the way of getting attention is to understand your client's needs, understand their pain point, understand their problems. And when you're writing content, it's not about you, it's about them. So, it's the first distinction. It's the first mistake I see people make. You know, a lot of people write, oh, you know, when I was 12, I you know, I fell off my horse and I've been scarred for life and, you know, now I teach other people how to survive being fall, falling off horses and being scarred for life, blah, 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 like the whole vulnerable share crap. And whilst there's a small place in that and I'd say maybe 1% of your marketing should be directed towards that, um, the mistake is there is that people actually are looking for what's in it for them. They don't care that you fell off their horse but they do care that you can help them solve the problems they have since they fell off their horse. So when we write content for money, for return, for dollars in the bank, opposed to engagement and everyone going, oh, you're so amazing, you fell off your horse, we actually want to write the copy from the perspective of the person reading it, not from our perspective. And I'll give you an example. Like if I was to say, you know, when I first started my business, um, I didn't know how to, to generate leads. So I started a Facebook group. I would say most entrepreneurs when they're starting their business don't know how to start don't know how to create leads and that's why I've created my program that helps them get leads from starting a Facebook group. See the distinction, the difference? Yeah. Rather than going when I me 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 you go most entrepreneurs, most coaches, a lot of um consultants or a lot of women experience this or a lot of men experience this because when you use the most a lot or some of kind of sentence they then see themselves in that story. And they become the hero of your content rather than you just talking about yourself all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, what what are some other words like that? So, most of, so anything, words that are including, they kind of, if I'm right by saying this, like kind of assuming that the majority of people do that. So, like yeah. most yep. people do this. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows this. Yeah. Yep. So not everyone. So you want to don't want to go not to absolutes because the unconscious mind will actually reject the absolute. You want to keep it like, oh, most people, some of us, a few people I've spoken to, or a lot of people I work with. 
So it's kind of like not all, once we go to all or everybody, people, the unconscious mind is just like, that's not true. And the minute mm. they say that's not true, they're not going to continue to read. Right. Okay. So when it comes to all this, what do you think is the most important thing to be focusing on? Is to learn to write content for sales, not for engagement, firstly. And so learn learning to understand what your client's problem is, tell a story in a way that they see themselves in your story. In, the, in your story and then move them into a catchment and this is where we keep their attention. So getting their attention is telling stories about them, knowing what their problem is. Then we move them into a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group or a platform where they are now kind of at, at our beck and call in a way. Like we can control to a degree that they're going to see our content. It could be on an email list. Email list and email marketing is great. I just prefer to find, I prefer and find it more effective to have an, a Facebook group and to be emailing that group simultaneously because we're in, a, in an industry where everybody's doing everything. So you want to get in front of them more, more than just once. So email, get their email, go, hey, for example, um, most coaches struggle when it comes to creating online content. They get a lot of posts, they get a lot of likes and comments, but they don't get any dollars in their bank. That's why I've created this Facebook group just for people like you who want to monetize their organic strategy. Click the link here, give me your email address and I'll send you the invite. So then I've got their email address and then I've got them in the group. Once they're in the group, I have a structure. Say Mondays I do this, Tuesdays I do this and I'm warming them up. I'm letting them get to know me. And then every month there's an offer and then I sell them into my funnel. So well, they're already in my funnel, but I sell them into a low something some go straight into high ticket but most go into low then from the low they go to medium then from medium they go to the high wow that's a well thought out plan what what's more important marketing or what you're actually selling i actually think i'd call it message to market match which is what you're selling actually trumps good marketing and here's why i've seen people that are shit at marketing that are so bad but it's just a message to market match people just want it and it's really upsetting and I've cried many times. But I'm like, why are they winning? Why? Because I'm competitive. So everything's a competition for me, even though it's a joke, like I'm laughing about it. But it motivates me. So I'm like, why are they beating me? Why are they selling more than me on this summit? Because I hold the record on real success for the, the most amount of people I've moved into something, like so the sales record, so to speak. And it, I didn't hold it consistently. My sales, the next one dropped down and then it came back up. And the one that dropped down, I was like, well, why is that person selling more than me? It's a message to market match. And I was like, what do you mean oh. by that? Message to market match. Message to market match. So what that means is that, for example, this specific summit promoter that I'm talking about, they're amazing and I love them and I work consistently with them and I wouldn't work consistently with anyone else because these guys have integrity and I fucking love them. Their, their market are people that are generally starters that generally are in corporate businesses that want to move into starting other companies and they're kind of they're beginners they're beginner entrepreneurs so if I go in there and I sell something that's like about building funnels and running ads no matter how good I am at selling it no matter how good I am at speaking to convert them I'm not going to convert them because it's not a match mm. whereas if somebody goes in and they're like oh I'll help you build your business from zero dollars to ten thousand they're going to clean up even if their presentation isn't as good even if their marketing's not as good even if their positioning's not as good they will clean up because it's a message to market match yeah okay that makes total sense so actually making sure you're in front of the right people yeah they're going to want to buy your stuff well, that was a way easier way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> that was like so much easier oh my god <laughs> oh man I'm I I want to deconstruct the year 
you grew your business by 800%. What the fuck changed? <laughs> what happened? And, and, and also, I want to go down the whole of like you've studied. What have you studied here? Like Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist and philosophy psychology. psychology, metaphysics, meta. Like there were some other meta words in there that I couldn't pronounce, so I didn't put them in. But you studied <laughs> so much. Like you're so freaking smart. I wanted to and be enlightened, dude. <laughs> I want to know all about the enlightenment. So, uh, so everyone listening on this show is learning how they can elevate their life and and execute Amazing. on their dreams, execute on their potential. So beautiful. You grew your business eight hundred percent. So, firstly, what did you learn in that year? What What was some like? Was this was this things we like? Oh, I was selling to the wrong person. My marketing of it, or was it like an internal kind of shift, or mm-hmm. like, or was it multiple things like? Yeah, it was two things. First, it was a message to market match. That's how come I'm very familiar. Like doing plant medicine retreats at that period of time, everyone wanted it. Everyone was willing to travel and a lot of people didn't want to go to the jungle. They didn't feel safe. So here I was, a white person that would be the bridge. So we would have Indigenous shamans that would work at at, at the retreats. Was this in Australia? No, no, no. We we went overseas. Which Um, country? (laughs) <laughs> we were in Mexico. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 Um, also Vanuatu. Cool. And Nepal. Amazing. Yeah. So we would bring the, would fly the shamans in. And so we were kind of the bridge. So it was just what people wanted at the time. It was a huge market. It still is, I would say. Um, so that was the first one. It was perfect timing. The second one is I shifted from needing to hold on to money to being in a reinvestment mindset. So that year, although it grew 800%, my profit was very small because every single cent that I earned, I reinvested back in, whether it was hiring a team, whether it was um, running ads, whether it was getting an agency, whether it was putting on events, whether it was paying Grant, whether it was paying Gary, whether it was paying Scott. And that I, I think all up, I almost spent a million dollars, reinvested a million dollars back into my business. That's huge, but that that's a key thing right there because so many people uh, they make a dollar and they want to hold it. Yeah, you know, yeah. you need to be planting money trees and investing back in. Yeah, that was the hugest shift because up until that point, I was a holder. Yeah, I've got to save, got to save my money. You know, got to save it for that rainy day, uh-huh. and that's not an entrepreneurial mindset. You know, so that that was it. And the, but there was a huge mistakes that I made then as well, like huge yeah. mistakes. You know. Like what? I, I, I can share like what what happened that if you had the chance again you wouldn't do or you'd do better so there's there's a guy that jeff worked with and jeff's my partner i know he's been on your show as well and he was he's like a financial like mindset guru expert i think he's also an accountant and a financial advisor but he talks of in wealth there's two types of mindsets there's a grower's mindset and there's an earner's mindset hmm. entrepreneurs are generally earners we're good hustlers we love dopamine dopamine addicts are generally like uh, Gary's a perfect earner. A grower is a, a Warren Buffett, a Ray Dalio, someone who is happy to watch paint dry, likes watching grass grow and is all about long-term strategy. And now why my businesses took off so well is that I was an earner and I was all about short-term strategy. I failed at the long-term strategy. So when I chose to rebuild and shut everything down, it was very difficult because I didn't actually have any foresight and I'd invested pretty much everything back into my business that I just decided to burn to the ground. So if I could do it again, it would be to actually incorporate, to be the integration of the earner and the grower mindset in business and wealth. Cool. So what does that look like? That's really I can I can totally understand because I have friends that are definitely growers and I think I'm 
this is the the last year I've been more focusing on that, like actually setting up long term investments mm-hmm. and things like that. I've always been in that earner mindset before. Mm-hmm. It's like hustle, hustle, yeah. hustle, make, 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 make. Um, how can you start to integrate these two? What does that look like? Yeah, so just simple things like first off, make sure that you have six months like runway in the bank for your business and your personal life. So, you know, if you can't do six months, do three months. Really important because what that means is you're actually in a different mindset. So earners make really stupid decisions when they're in scarcity or critter brain, you know, when they're going to get the next sale, when they're going to hit the next, you know, they've, they've, They've overcommitted generally on expenses because they're like, I'll make it, I'll make it this month. And then you've got to hustle and make it. And so you're constantly in critter brain and in scarcity mindset. And then we don't make long-term decisions. You can only make long-term decisions when you're not in scarcity or not in critter brain. So first is having the three to six months burn rate in the bank. Some companies in Silicon Valley have like, I think, three years burn rate in the bank. So you can make decisions that are based on choice, not reactivity of fear of running out of money. So it's the first thing that someone can do. Then from there, it sounds really simple, but if you don't have a bookkeeper and you're not tracking every single last dollar, you're in trouble. Yeah. You need to know everything that's happening in your personal and finan- and business accounts. Make a note of this, Morgan. <laughs> Get bookkeeper. Bookkeeper is really important. Sometimes I look at my credit card and I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like the other day I looked, I spent $1,800 $1, on something and I was asking my sister, I was like, what the fuck did I buy for eighteen hundred? And I couldn't for life me figure it out. I was like, we're gonna get on top of this shit. Yes, like, that helps. <laughs> it helps to have a tracker, someone tracking it for you. Outsource it. You don't need to do it, but you definitely want somebody tracking it for you. It's really yeah. important. You know what you what what you measure grows, or what we measure gets achieved. So if we're measuring and assessing our money, and like we become a responsible steward of money. So if we want to think about on the esoteric or spiritual level of like why it's important to bring in the earner and the grower together is that we become a responsible steward of money. Money is energy. And Jeff uses this example all the time that if you have a partner, if you have a girlfriend and you treat her like crap, um, well, then she's not going to want to stay. Well, money is the same. It's an energy and it's going to it's going to actually be drawn to those who work with it in a way that is conducive, that is abundant, that is kind, that is not treating it like it's you know the the last the last bloody jumper on the rack at the target sale like you it's only going to go to people that are treating it like a i don't know a hermes or a vuitton (laughs) jacket that's a one of a kind and it's cradling it and it's keeping it special yeah no that makes total sense so what what can i've never talked to anybody who's studied buddhist philosophies so i i'm just curious and i actually don't know where to start so um, where do we start? <laughs> I don't even know what to ask. Well, see, philosophy firstly by definition means, well, this is what they taught me at uni, was that philosophy is the exploration of ideas before it becomes science. When it's science, it's proven. Right, so they're theories. Theories. It's the exploration of theories. It's ideas, which is why I ended up getting annoyed with it eventually because I was like, oh, can I just fucking do something? Because there's nothing real <laughs> there. It's just like, this is a good it's idea. ideas, good idea. you know, and this could be real and that could be real and, and, and that's great. And I, I, lo- I loved it. But studying Buddhist philosophy is studying the philosophy, the idea. It's not taking it like when I did Zen training, I was taking the 
the actual teachings as my dharma, as as law, as the way I lived my life. When I studied it at uni, it was exploring the ideas of it. You know, what are the implications on society, on an individual, on, you know, on the future, on the past of using these ideologies. And I remember one one essay I did was about would using the the Buddhist teaching of love and compassion, if it was, you know, taught in primary schools, would it make the world a better place? So it was exploring the ideas of applying Buddhist ideologies and principles into everyday life. Would it make the world better? And things like that. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm, I'm just curious about it all. Like, I, like we've known each other for a while. And yeah. Like, a while, actually. <laughs> um, and... I've just always loved you as a person, like watching what you do. And then it was just funny when I'm doing this, putting this interview together, I'm like, man, this is like, she's got, she's done so much shit. So I'm just like so curious and not even sure where to kind of go. But <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I would, I would love to kind of understand, uh, get into the mindset of you when it comes to peak performance. You've studied a lot around peak performance mm-hmm. in life, mm-hmm. how to be a high performer. Mm-hmm. Where do you see, people going wrong and how can people like how can people i guess take action straight from listening to this put it into their life and start seeing better results yeah it's i think it all comes back to actually being clear on what they want out of life so most people are just doing things because that's what normal people do and they're actually not in alignment with their values and they become really unhappy so first get clear. So I got clear at the beginning of 2020 when I, I shut everything down and I started again. I was like, what do I want out of life? What is my number one value? And I said, freedom. Freedom's my number one value. And I was like, okay, well, what do I mean by freedom? It's like, well, I want to live a life of choice, doing what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want. Like I don't want to feel constrained in any way. If I want to buy the boat, I buy the damn boat. If I want to buy the plane, I buy the plane. Like that's what I want in my life. If I want to donate a million dollars to a tribe in the Amazon and set up an education program, that's what I do. Like I want that level of choice. And so I then started to go, okay, well, what does that look like on a daily, daily habits? What daily habits do I need to have that as my reality? What weekly habits do I need? And then by definition, that became my high performance. So high performance, I think what we, you know, people think of flow state and using microdosing and doing this. I'm like, well, cool, put all that to the side because until you actually figure out what you want, all that's null and void. It's not, it means nothing. Because if you're working towards being money rich but time poor and you're miserable and your number one value is time freedom, well, you're screwed. So first get clear. Do you want time freedom and money freedom or just time freedom? And you don't care about money. Like get clear first. And then there's a multitude of things. Meditation is number one that's I meditate every day is absolutely essential for anybody regardless of what your goal is. So the listeners, make sure you're meditating. That's it. How long do you meditate for? Not even very long, about 20 minutes. Wow. I, it's 11 hours. I, <laughs> oh, yeah. Fuck. Oh, not too long. I just like five hours a day. <laughs> Jay Shetty, literally, I think two or three hours or four, yeah. still every single day. And, and yeah. I... You know, like sometimes I go to bed at night thinking like I need a clone. I need more hours in my day. I don't know how, but there's obviously, there's definitely some magic there that I still haven't got into that I really want to. Yeah. Um, And I'm even just assuming here that this could kind of play, could answer a bit of my next question. Mm -hmm. But how do you maintain a level of high performance, peak performance without burning out? You're learning to work with, firstly, let's talk about the physicality element. And this is something that took me a long time to learn. Work, learning to work with your body. 
everyone's physicality is different. Some people go well on a keto. Some people go well on vegan. Some people go well on four hours sleep. Some people need eight. Some people need 10. Some people, you know, do well on lifting weights. Some people need to do friggin' yoga. Find out what works for your body and then schedule, like, schedule it in. Because if you don't do that and the body quits on you, everything else is pointless. Nothing else will work. So first is physicality. What, 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 learn to work with your body. Then learn how to, not silence, because you can't silence your mind. That's one thing I learned from Buddhism. We can't stop our thoughts. It's ludicrous. The very thought of that is hilarious. You, if I go stop thinking, you just start thinking. It's so dumb. <laughs> when, I first, when people first started meditating, when I first started, I thought the intention was to get rid of all of my thoughts. The, you actually can't do that. You can find the space between the thoughts, but thoughts are like clouds in the sky. They're always going to be there in some way, shape, or form. So the second thing is learning to find the space between your thoughts every day, whatever that is for you. Some people it's dancing. Some people it's yoga. Some people it's seated meditation. Meditation doesn't necessarily have to be sitting. That might not be for you. But find some activity where it allows you to find the space between the thoughts and then find something in your life that helps you keep physically fit, whatever that is for you. Those two things are pretty damn good. If you can do those and you can maintain it, your performance, you'll be able to perform at a decent level. Yeah. What what I noticed, um, I've people have always mentioned burnout, burnout for years, mm. right? To me, and because I I do some like I I go pretty hard, and people are like, oh, you might burn out, and I say you keep that belief for yourself, mm. um, because I I just I don't even associate to that mm. word, and I kept avoiding it for so long. I was like, no, I don't believe it, don't believe it, but I still don't believe it. Um, if I also associate any feeling to that word, if it did exist. I think I came pretty close to it like last year. And what I noticed to myself is because I was doing a lot of the things out of alignment to my values. Mm-hmm. And one of my highest values is fun. And I noticed that all the work and the hustling I was doing wasn't fun for me anymore. And, yeah. I, was, and I was just really wondering, I was like, why isn't this fun anymore? Mm-hmm. And once I kind of took a bit of a step back and I thought that I had to keep working harder to make more money, mm-hmm. in the last 12 months, I've done way less and I've made way more. Yeah. And I feel way fucking happier. Yep. And it's, it's such Beautiful. an interesting thing to get my head around. I'm like, how can I go away for a week, delete social media, do no fucking work, but still... Ma- and the first time I did this, I made more money. Like, I think I went away for uh, like a weekend. Right? So good. And I deleted all my social media and I, came, and I came back online. I made more money on that weekend. I was offline than when I did the previous entire week mm-hmm. when I was working. And I was yep. like, this, I'm under something here. So... Now I look for ways to like, like, and like you're saying, it's really kind of figuring out sort of works with you. Yes. Um, yes. And also your values, like why I feel that you experience, you know, we're not going to say it was burnout, but some level of lethargy around your, your life was because you were out of alignment with your values, which is why I said, that's the first thing people have to figure out because if you don't, you're, and you're going to hit that eventually. Um, and then the second thing is, yeah, absolutely finding out what works for you. Like we take a week off every month. Really? We go to Byron. Right. I don't or somewhere it. around there. I don't do it that often. Maybe I should. I think I, I think I find about every 60 days, yeah. I, I feel I'm just like, I need to I need to get away or yeah. something. It's, um, it's, and again, it's just finding what works for you. 60 days, like you're younger than us. Yeah. So, you know, we got to the point where we're like, oh, I work pretty much seven days a week. I don't always work all day, but I love it. It's fun mm. for me. And fun is one of my values as well. But my physicality and my mind Although my spirit wants to work seven days a week yeah. for three years in a row, which it's done, 
my body and mind needs a break. And so it's what I mean by learning to work with your body and your mind. So then we take a week off. The third week of the month, we just take off. Yeah, that's cool. I might, I might start to implement this. Um, tell me a bit about your boss bitch <laughs> thing. What's I it like called? the way you just said that. You kind of did like a little head thing. A mm-hmm. little uh, boss bitch yes. program. I'm trying to find it. Boss bitch business school. Mm-hmm. What is this? Tell me about it. Yes. It's a community of female entrepreneurs and uh. we are, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we do actually have boss men. We do have okay. men that sign up. So, we're not we're not anti-men. Like, you can totally come and join if you want to be a boss bitch or a boss man. No drama. I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> experience some more feminine. Yeah. 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 Just identify with being a woman. Yeah. You can do that now. Fine. Yeah, you can. Identify as whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. I identify with being this microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I've been so good up until this yeah, point. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Don't, don't make a don't make a, a comment about the the microphone okay. looking like a big dick. <laughs> did I say that? I did. It lo- really does look like one. That's <laughs> just like I identify with being in this microphone. Um, <laughs> um so um, boss bitch business boss school. Business school. Yeah. Right, so right, right, essentially. Right. Only 2% of female entrepreneurs hit the seven-figure revenue point. Wow. And I started at the beginning of 2020 because I wanted to 10x that figure. And I help a lot of men. And before 2020, most of my clients were guys. So it was really nice to switch into working with female entrepreneurs. And I still have male clients as well. I have consulting clients that that own companies that are men. And so it's literally to 10x that figure and it's to provide services and networks for them to, to build and grow their business and to feel supported in it. So it's like a uh, is it a community or is it is this your mentoring thing? Yeah, it's or? a community, and we within that community we have multi multitude of different programs to help them build or scale an online business. So there's a digital school, or there's a video marketing school, or there's conflict marketing. So there's a myriad of programs within that community that they can buy. Wow, so it's like yeah. the one stop shop for business. Yeah, yeah, business like school. exactly. It's like the female um, entrepreneur version of digital marketer, but way cooler because my branding's cooler. Sorry, Ryan Dice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, uh, we will. Um, I'll drop some kind of link in the description of this cool. episode for that, and people can go and find it there. That'd be awesome. Um, thanks so much for coming on. This has been super, super You're freaking welcome. fun. Um, where Where else can people find you on social media yeah. and yeah. follow you and laugh at all your funny Yes, jokes? come and be entertained at Boss Bitch Business School on Instagram. That's definitely the best place to find me. Just find me there, then go to my offerings and you can like get my other free stuff, my other free downloads and stuff on there. And it'll be really cool to connect with you. So if you're listening to this podcast, send me a message and just say, hey, I thought you sucked or I really liked it. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, to wrap this up, I've got Ooh. one final question for you. I always freak at these ones. Yeah, <laughs> They're the best. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give her 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? Don't change a thing. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got value from this episode, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 20 seconds of your time, leave me a five-star rating and written review, then screenshot this episode and share it to your story. And make sure you tag me for that shout out. And until next time, guys, go out there and dream out loud.